0: If you're in the Bay and can make it to Berkeley on April 18th, join us at our robotics and AI conference. We'll have live demos, interviews with leading robotics and AI technologists, and technical workshops that are pretty cool, along with some networking. Get 15% off your ticket using promo code equity at techwrench.com roboticsai If you're looking to sell your private company stock, SharesPost has a solution for you. With more than $4 billion in company-approved transactions, SharesPost is the leading marketplace for private company shares. To learn more, visit us at sharespost.com equity.
1: Today in a special TechCrunch podcast, we have with us Roger McNamee, an American businessman, investor, venture capitalist, and somewhat famously musician. Roger is the founding partner of the venture capital firm Elevation Partners, and prior to co-founding the firm, he co-founded the private equity firm Silverlake Partners, and he also headed the T. Rowe Price Science and Technology Fund. He talks about all of these roles, including getting elbowed out of Silverlake by his co-founders, quite candidly in his new book, Zucked. But in Zucked, McNamee doesn't spend an inordinate amount of time talking about himself. After explaining to us his role in the universe that is Silicon Valley, he quickly moves into a history of the technology in the Valley and why we are where we are today, living in a world where much of our life is spent online in our own little echo chambers to our great detriment. As the New York Times put it in a review of the book earlier this week, quote, the story of Facebook has been told many times before, but McNamee does a superb job of contextualizing its rise within the proper technology history. Roger, I have to say based on what I've read of the book, I agree with that statement. Thank you so much for coming today.
0: What a pleasure to be here.
1: (laughs) Um, Okay, so let's start off with what is perhaps the most obvious question, which is why write this book?
0: So I was lucky enough to be one of Mark Zuckerberg's mentors in 2006 to 2009. And, you know, any successful company is going to have Parents all over the place. And I am one of many. And my role was relatively small, but there were two things I got to do that really mattered. And uh, I met Mark the day he was trying to decide whether to sell the company to Yahoo in 2006. And he didn't want to do it. And everybody around him wanted him to do it. And I helped him figure out how to keep the company independent. And then a couple years later, I was Able to introduce him to Sheryl Sandberg and help him bring her into the company, and so those two things made me immensely proud of my involvement with what was obviously one of the greatest tech companies ever created, and something I was, you know, I just, I remained a cheerleader long after my role as a mentor ended because I'm not an operational person, and once Sheryl was on board. Mark really didn't need me anymore. And so I stepped back and just was in the stands cheering the whole time. And I, I I couldn't have been prouder of Facebook. And, you know, keep in mind, I've been investing in tech since 1982. So I was there for the whole PC industry, really from before it was an industry, and got to see everything and was involved in a lot of great companies. But Facebook was very special for me, which is why I was so shocked in early 2016 when I started to see examples of bad actors exploiting Facebook's business model and its, its tools to harm innocent people. Imagine in this book that I am Jimmy Stewart, and the book is Rear Window. I see something that looks like a crime scene, and <laughs> I don't know what to do about it. So I pull on the thread, and I'm so ignorant at the beginning. It's really embarrassing. And you follow this journey with me. And along the way, I teach the reader everything I know about how the technology industry got to where it was when Facebook started, mm-hmm. why Facebook was able to be so incredibly successful, the things about Mark that were so exceptional, things about Cheryl that are so exceptional, things about that team that were so great, and how things evolved and where they came off track and mm-hmm. why the business model becomes such a problem. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, I discover probably along the way, hey, it's not, this isn't Facebook. This is everybody in the space. This is Google. Mm-hmm. It's Instagram. It's right. YouTube. It's it's uh, WhatsApp. It's well, Twitter. Two, two
1: of those, three of those, are still Facebook.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But but my point is, it's not just one product. It's sure. everything. Right. Remember, I only saw it on Facebook at the beginning, but that's because that's the only place I was looking. Right. Right. And th- the key point here is that this journey that I take. Isn't designed to tell you the whole story. It's designed to prepare you to understand what's happening now, mm-hmm. because this story is still unfolding. It's getting way more complex, and we know things today that I couldn't have dreamed, you know, when Tristan and I started out.
1: Well, and you've been talking about this message. You were talking about this message well in advance of this book coming out. Um, you were basically on every, you know, uh, news outlet that would take you last year, sort of banging the drum, saying, "There's an issue here. This there's a real problem here." Um, in fact, to the point that. You were saying earlier, um, a a VP at uh, Facebook, Andrew Bosworth, was like, who the hell's Roger McNamee?
0: (laughs) He was more colorful than that. Yes. So what happened was that the predecessor to the book was an essay I wrote for a Washington political magazine Mm -hmm. called Washington Monthly. Mm -hmm. And it was designed to capture in one place everything a member of Congress would need to understand how we got here and what the options were for fixing the problem. Mm -hmm. And it basically, Zuck put out his New Year's resolution on January 1st that he was going to fix Facebook, which everybody went, wait, what? Mm -hmm. I mean, one minute before that came out, he was telling everybody, there's nothing to see here. Mm -hmm, There's mm -hmm. nothing to fix, Mm -hmm. right? And all of a sudden, he's going, I'm going to fix Facebook. And my thing, which had been written a couple months before, was slated to be published on the 8th. They accelerated to the 5th. Mm -hmm. And... It comes out, and it's 6,000 words, and it reads like a point-by-point rebuttal. Mm -hmm. And over that weekend, it spread outside of Washington. Basically, Tim Berners-Lee shared it with his whole list. Mm -hmm. Somehow, George Soros saw it. Uh, All kinds of people saw it. And Andrew Bosworth, on the 8th of January, posts the tweet you're talking about and basically asked, who is this guy? And... Everybody, I was in New York for a few weeks, and every media outlet in New York decided to find God. out.
1: Well, you know, I have to say, so when you were on television so much, um, I think, you know, I even heard from circles out here, like, why is Roger McEnabee going, you know, becoming hysterical about Facebook? Does he have an ulterior motive? Is he trying to get attention for some reason?
0: Completely reasonable questions. And, you know, so here's the funny thing. I still own... Facebook stock, and I mean not a little. It is by a factor of I don't know five or ten the largest single position I have. I made a conscious choice that I was going to hold the position while I was doing my activism, Mm -hmm. because I wanted people to understand that I don't have a financial motive for doing this. I don't have a. My goal here is that I'm a citizen of the United States of America. I am a human being in the world, and what initially looked like a small problem, Mm -hmm. what rapidly metastasized into a big problem, Mm -hmm. I now perceive as a systemic issue that threatens the economy. Mm -hmm. That essentially, there have been a few times in history when something in the industrial economy happened that literally changed the world so much there was a before and an after. Mm -hmm. Gutenberg with the printing press would be one of those. Another one of those was the commercialization of the automobile. Now we have a new thing that's exactly like that. There is a professor at Harvard Business School who's just written a book called uh, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. Her name is Shoshana Zuboff. And she makes the point that this particular revolution is um, has an opportunity to empower people. But for whatever reason, Google and Facebook have chosen not to do that. That we talk about in an advertising business that um, that we are the product, not mm. not mm. the mm. customer. Mm. In fact, my hypothesis is that in the model of Facebook and Google, we're actually the fuel. That these are extraction industries that are basically sucking data out of us, sure. and they're not using the data to empower us or make us more successful. The but way Henry to Fo- monetize us. The way that Henry Ford sure. did at in his mm. factories, mm. they're using the data to manipulate our attention Mm -hmm. and ultimately to control us in order to meet their goals, not our goals. And what's weird is these businesses would be great businesses if they just had some balance in that, if they would recognize that meeting our goals would be in their interest too and that this would last a lot longer Mm -hmm. if they did that, Mm -hmm. right? And so in the tech industry I grew up in, the tech industry before 2000, was a world that Steve Jobs described as a world of bicycles for the mind. It was empowering and enabling people to be successful. And this new world is about taking away the things that make us individuals. Mm -hmm. And, again, that's a choice. That's not a requirement. There's nothing about AI that says it has to do that. In fact, it would be fairly straightforward to fix it, but nobody has an incentive to do that. So why am I doing this? I think that bicycles for the mind is a much better model for technology than taking away our humanity. I like democracy better than authoritarianism. And these companies have as an unintended consequence of well-intentioned strategies produced both of those outcomes. And I don't think anybody at Facebook or Google is trying to hurt the world. But they're so focused on their own goals, Mm -hmm. Google to collect all the world's information, Facebook to connect the whole world, that they've forgotten that there's responsibility that comes with that.
1: Do you think that they are run by good people? Do you think, you know, you, you paint this picture of Mark Zuckerberg walking into your office at Silver Lake back in 2006, where you say...
0: It was, it was actually at Elevation, oh, but... Oh, at
1: Elevation, sorry. Um, where you say you tried to counsel him against potentially selling the company. So what I'm interested in first, what did you see in Mark Zuckerberg? And also, do you think in hindsight that you were naive about him?
0: So so he, he, in 2006, when Mark came in, Mark didn't want to sell the company. The mm-hmm. problem is everybody around him did, mm-hmm. and he didn't want to disappoint them. Mm-hmm. So the thing I was able to do was to give him a path to how to explain to everybody why it was important mm-hmm. not to sell the company then. And um, you need to understand, I loved Mark. I thought he was so obviously amazing. I mean, why he was 22 years old, mm-hmm. and You know, I never watched The Social Network until very recently because the Mark I knew wasn't like the one depicted in the movie. Mm -hmm. The Mark I knew, and again, I didn't know him socially. I only knew him professionally, and I only knew him around issues where he valued my opinion. Mm -hmm. So I had this exceptionally cool relationship with him. And I'd known Cheryl since she worked in the Treasury Department, and I thought she was one of the most amazing people I've ever met. I mean, brilliant and Engaging and thoughtful and, um, I mean, among the greatest executives I've ever known in mm-hmm. a career that's where I've known everybody in Silicon Valley since before the PC industry. So, I mean, I, I had no doubt about how great they were. And that's part of why I was so concerned when I saw things going wrong because I knew they would never do that on purpose. They're not that kind of people. And I don't know Larry and Sergey, Mm -hmm. but I know they've never intended to harm anybody. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm absolutely confident of that. But the truth is that when you're really successful for a long period of time, you can lose perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think in this particular case, this is compounded by the fact that the Valley since 2003 has been really steeped in this notion that, None of us is responsible for anybody but ourselves, mm-hmm. and that the consequences of our actions are somebody else's problem, not ours. And that's been really widely accepted, and it's produced so much success that people forget that there was once a time we behaved differently.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What I'm saying to people is, listen, I may not be the right messenger for you, and that's fine. But listen to the message. Think about the problems and ask yourself, you know, we can fix this simply by returning Silicon Valley to a focus on bicycles for the mind. I mean, we have this problem that Facebook and Google have created these no-fly zones around their business. And they've Google's very cleverly used Google Ventures to sort of draw people over to more capital intensive, non-internet platform-based opportunities, things like blockchain and, uh, you know, things your mom used to do for you uh, and Scooters, mm-hmm. right? And I'm sure those are all great businesses, but they're definitely brought a lot of the of the venture industry and the entrepreneurs away from competing with Google and by extension, Facebook. And Facebook, of course, has bought a bunch of the things that might have threatened it, like instagram and and whatsapp mm-hmm. and uh, and they have choked off a lot of other things. And I, I understand why they do that. Every business would do that. But the result is that any innovation that comes, on the internet is pretty much going to have to come from them. And there's no time in history that, depending on monopolists for innovation, ever worked out. And so what I want to do is create some space so that a new generation can come along, as it would have in the past, mm-hmm. and create bicycles for the mind. create And mm-hmm. cre- Give people an alternative. I want to have social networks that that don't extract value from me. And, I, I mean, here's the funny thing. I still use Facebook. I love Facebook as a product. I mean.
1: <laughs> that's the, that, but you just, that's the problem. Right there, that's the problem. But here's it the It doesn't thing. matter what comes out in the news. As we were talking about, every day there's some news.
0: No, of... but people have changed their behavior. And okay. here's what I would tell you, mm-hmm. is that Facebook and Google depend on our attention. Mm-hmm. And small changes in how we apply that attention can have a really large effect. So the business models are based on outrage and fear. That's why they like filter bubbles because Mm -hmm. that's why they like conspiracy theories and disinformation Mm -hmm. because those things are just way more engaging. Mm -hmm. Because if you get somebody afraid or you get them outraged, they're going to share because they want to share their fear and outrage with other people. They want other people to be afraid and outraged because that makes you feel better because you're in good company. So don't let them do that. I mean, I use Facebook to organize things. I'm using Facebook and Instagram to promote my book. Why? Because the audience of people who need it are on Facebook and Instagram. Mm -hmm. But the the reality is that I no longer get news from social media. I no longer engage in political fights. And I used to do both of those Mm -hmm. (laughs) a lot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just realized I got to stop that. And the funny thing is if we can all make those changes, we have enormous power because these guys can't live without us. And we also have great power in Washington because the people in Washington will want to rein them in. And they just need to know that the voters are behind them on that.
1: Well, I mean, I'd love to sort of, you know, you say you're optimistic and I'd love to understand why. I I wish I were more optimistic, but the fact that people aren't signing off, the fact that they don't really get outraged or they read something that's outrageous, but they decide that the service well, is still compelling enough to continue using. I, I understand your point that people are pre- perhaps sort of engaging in it last. The
0: data actually says something really important. Facebook okay. used to report the minutes of use
1: mm-hmm.
0: every month. They don't do that anymore. And there's really good reason that since the fourth quarter of last year, the number's been declining. Mm-hmm. Now. They have a lot of control over the actual number that they report of total monthly users because, they told us last year, they had a billion inauthentic accounts that they rejected. So very small changes mm-hmm. in the things that they reject or keep will mm-hmm. allow them to control mm-hmm. the uh, the number of people who are counted in their user base monthly. But what they can't fake is the minutes of use, mm-hmm. and uh, Nielsen, in it as part of its surveying of all media tracks this. And Mm -hmm. I forget the exact number, but I want to say that minutes of use in North America are down like 20% since... A year ago. Sure, I know I've,
1: I'm, I'm barely on it anymore. Well, but uh, but, but that's right. hang on just a sec. Right, that's, right. What I mean. that's what right. I mean. That's what I mean about.
0: I'm not telling you you gotta get off Facebook permanently. I'm just saying, just use it differently. Don't don't let them manipulate you.
1: Well, you talked about um, Tristan Harris a bit ago, the director and co-founder of the Center for Humane Technology, uh, who you've partnered with on sort of this um, awareness campaign. I know that he thinks there's it's not possible to change things from the inside. Um, It sounds like you also think that is the case.
0: I never give up hope on that. Okay. I took enormous uh, comfort from the 20,000-person walkout at Google. Mm -hmm. Now, that was on a very important issue, the forced arbitration related to sexual Mm -hmm. harassment. Now, what I really would have loved would be if the Google employees would now have a walkout to get rid of forced arbitration for the users. Right? That would be really powerful.
1: But it would be very right? powerful. And
0: I would really like employees at Facebook to say, hang on just a sec. Medecins Sans Frontieres has said that at least 9,000 people are dead in Myanmar because of what the UN calls a classic ethnic cleansing
1: mm-hmm.
0: enabled by Facebook.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they say there are 42,000 people who are missing and presumed dead. So that's 51,000 people in six months compared to, I think, 54,000 or 56,000 American mm-hmm. deaths in 10 years in Vietnam. So it's a really big number. And I would like to see the folks at at Facebook step up and go, hey, you know what? We, we got to make sure we're on top of that. Sure. And, and at Google, there has been a little bit of a protest against Dragonfly, and there was a protest against the drone stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but my point is I, I take great hope.
1: It would be, be great. I mean, I, I do worry, again, just to sort of play devil's advocate, that, that sort of along the lines of Henry Ford treating his employees so well, I think Facebook employees are maybe – you know, have sort of been so enriched by, you know, financially in yeah. their experience yeah, no, that's with, with true. this rocket ship that I think it's probably true. a little bit harder for them to. Uh, but but I, I'd love to. And, and my of, point is I'm yeah.
0: totally mm-hmm. sympathetic with that. Mm-hmm. I'm simply saying everybody's just one good night's sleep away from this. Right. Mark and Cheryl are one but, good night's sleep away from getting this right. Larry and Sergey are one good night's sleep but, away from getting it right.
1: Uh, what? Um, I mean, so you say that you helped connect Cheryl and, and Mark, for example. Do you feel that she should be there? Uh, did, yes. Did she, okay. And what about the board? I mean, I'm just wondering, is anybody else responsible? These are, these, gr- these nobody, are, nobody has stepped in to actually do anything.
0: I you, love this question because mm-hmm. in my mind, the problem here is not the managers per se. It's the business model. Mm-hmm. So you could, if you don't change the business model, changing the management won't help. If you do change the business model, then this current management is actually an advantage because Mark and Cheryl have the moral authority to force a change in the business model. So I – and I, I believe they're both extraordinarily talented people. So in my mind, I'd rather find a way to have them see the light and make the change. I think the boards of both Google and Facebook have committed malpractice. Mm-hmm. You know, I think boards are there to provide wisdom. And, you know, somewhere along the way, they drank Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. And, and it's too bad because – I, I truly believe that that the job of the board in this situation would have been to say, "Guys, we're not looking at this right. Let's step out. Let's mm-hmm. go off-site for a few days." And Let's... they've
1: never—they've also never said anything publicly. I mean, I realize that would be sort of very uh, atypical to do, but it would be great to get a message from the board that says. Um, we're concerned about this. I
0: actually think we've gotten the opposite message, mm-hmm. right? Sure. I mean, I would look at, at at the chairman of Alphabet is the former president of Stanford, John Hennessy. Mm-hmm. He was out on his book tour promoting a book on leadership at precisely the time that Sundar was refusing to go to Washington to testify in a hearing in which Google would have looked relatively good. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there going, what kind of leadership is it when you basically say to Congress of the United States that we're too important mm-hmm. to come and testify on this matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, seriously, sure. what are we thinking about? Mm-hmm. And you know, the whole problem we've got here is that economic success conferred huge economic power in these companies. And there's a legitimate argument on both sides. Is it OK or not OK to be that big? Right? Mm-hmm. I can see both sides. The problem is that the nature of the business of Facebook and Google has also given them huge political power. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, they are they dominate the public square in every country in which they operate. And there is no there's never been an election. To, to put them in that power. There is no Mm -hmm. uh, accountability Mm -hmm. that they have for that political power. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's what's the flaw here, that the code and algorithms of Facebook and Google have much more influence on our lives than the law does. And think about that for just a minute. There are all these things the law says are perfectly okay, but Mm -hmm. Facebook and Google say no. And you have no opportunity to appeal or change that. It's, really it, it's
1: terrifying. I mean, really. You know, again, this whole book is sort of, you know, <laughs> examines a sort of terrifying state of affairs. Uh, but the question again is, where do we go from here? You say you hope they'll see the light. I am not optimistic that's going to happen well, at this point. Well, I, hang on. I don't I, know what. Else I don't gonna... want to
0: pretend like I expect it to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm saying though that I'm always open to that idea, right? And if okay. they ever want to sit down and talk about it, <laughs> you know, they know who to call. Um, I'm saying that that we can't assume that they will see the light.
1: So what do we do?
0: So I do think we need to have two things. We need the humans formerly known as users to recognize that they have enormous power here and to change their usage pattern to reduce the uh, impact of what these guys are doing.
1: Which you think is happening to, to small I think small It's, be, it's
0: mm-hmm. begun in a small way on mm-hmm. Facebook. It hasn't happened at all on Instagram, and Instagram is really dangerous, particularly for teenagers. Um, it hasn't happened, as far as I can tell, at all on YouTube, and YouTube is dangerous for everybody, right. all the way down to teeny-weeny little kids. Um, so, Absolutely. you know, there are all these huge problems there. <laughs> um, and, you know, I look at this as there's the political power and there's the, the, where they can go to Congress and, and – and, give Congress, if, if you will, the permission to engage. The European Union is already engaging very deeply on both antitrust and on uh, privacy. The, Europe, um, the United Kingdom is looking at issues there as well. The United States Congress is absolutely getting its, its act together here very quickly. I mean, it's very hard for Congress because for 50 years, tech never gave us a reason to regulate them mm-hmm. and so we're having to make up for lost time but I am quite confident that they will do so and part of that is because we have 40 new members of Congress who are under the age of I think 40 mm-hmm. um, and you know those people are you know those people are all very tech savvy and okay. and Congress already had a bunch of people who got it so I think we're going to get there if we give them the support but here's what I think has to happen mm-hmm. there are a lot of tools in the toolkit what I would like to see for the for artificial intelligence and really for the Internet of Things, is I would like to see us require safety and efficacy of these products before they can come to market. And I'd like each product that's already in the market to be forced to prove safety and efficacy. So this is the same standard applied to pharmaceuticals, but it's much easier to implement in tech because you can do this with open source verification with you know standard data sets to prove that there's no uh, bias and uh, you build these things into all the apps, and it's the same for everybody. So we make a little investment at the beginning, and then everybody uses the same things. And so it's it's fair to everyone. But that this notion of we have to prove that these things are both safe and effective at what they but, do.
1: But by whose standards? I mean, how well, do we I, I just – I think the, what you – Facebook this, standards are clearly very different than Well, the no, no, you're not,
0: you don't – the companies mm-hmm. don't get to make this choice. Obviously, right. this is something gets made independently. And right. you have to get rid of implicit bias, mm-hmm. and you you can't do harm. Mm-hmm. Right, I mean, it will force a change in the business model in the way AI is used because the model, as it's being done right now, mm-hmm. is harmful. Mm-hmm. And so, I want to to make that that change. I, I think it's super important to create space for alternative models to develop. That Facebook and Google can't be allowed to block all the sunlight on the venture capital so community. So, do you on the think
1: Internet. toward that end, these companies should be broken up?
0: Well, I think they there should, for certain, be limitations on. Uh, their ability to block competition. So space has to be created the way it was in the 56th consent decree with AT&T that created the mainframe computer industry, the way it was in the uh, Microsoft antitrust case that created the space for Google to happen. You know, th- There's a lot of precedent. And antitrust law can be incredibly effective for creating the opportunity for entrepreneurial growth. And you know, Crunchbase is going to get really boring if we don't do something about this because
1: <laughs> there's it, going to be three companies in the uh,
0: Crunchbase. It, 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 well, I don't know, but it, it's just it's you know it, there'll be a lot of companies that pass through quickly. Let's <laughs> right, just put it right. that way. And you know, to my mind, this is this is a, a, a an imperative for our community. And um, you know, the question of whether you break them up or not, it's Zuboff in her book on uh, surveillance capitalism makes a, a thoughtful point that. Going from 5 to 50 practitioners of uh, surveillance capitalism isn't actually going to solve the problem. You have to change the model. So I'm less f- interested in breaking them up than I am in preventing them from using their power to mm-hmm. prevent competitors from happening and to prevent, you know the country from being healthy and democratic Mm -hmm. and so you need to have a lot of things that happen here Mm -hmm. we have to go we have to help people understand that just because your data is all out there just because you're a good person doesn't mean you don't have a privacy problem here because if they are manipulating what you think in ways that you can't perceive Mm -hmm. that's got to be a problem and if they're manipulating what other people think in ways that affect you that's a problem. Absolutely. And all those things are going on here now, and they aren't going on like every once in a while. They're going on across populations measured in billions. And I'm sitting there going, look, again, I may be the wrong messenger, but I don't see a lot of other volunteers at the moment. When somebody else comes up, God bless you, <laughs> can have the baton. But I'm looking at this saying, I'm going to do my best.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, there are bullets to be taken along the way. I recognize that. And... Uh, And all I ask is that people imagine that the world could be a better place and that we in Silicon Valley and we in the tech industry can help take us there. And the course we're on right now is not the one that takes us there. It's the one that takes us to dark places. And I don't want to go there.
1: Can I ask, when was the last time you talked to Mark Zuckerberg?
0: Well, the last time I communicated with Mark was on the 30th of October of of 2016. So when I sent him... Uh, my memo. He sent me a very thoughtful message back. The last time I communicated with Cheryl was the same day. The last time I communicated with anybody at Facebook was in February 2017. The last person I talked to, and the last person I actually talked to and communicated mm-hmm. with, was, was Alex Stamos. And uh,
1: since not one
0: person, not one person at Facebook has reached out since then. Mm-hmm. A lot of ad hominem, but um, no, no reach out at all.
1: Well, I suspect they'll be watching your media tour, and I wish you... you
0: know, and the thing is, I just want everybody at Facebook to understand, I, I don't think people at Facebook or Google are bad people. I think the issue here is that we're just not, we're not seeing the whole picture, okay? And I understand why you're not seeing the whole picture. I get that. But that doesn't, you know, just because you'd rather have it be one way doesn't mean you're right Mm -hmm. any more than because I'd like to have it -hmm. a different way than I'm right but right now you're refusing to engage all of the people at Facebook and Google on on average are refusing to engage in what a conversation we need to have about what kind of a country we're going to live in Mm -hmm. what kind of a society we're going to have what is the role of technology in that is technology there to empower us or to take away the things that make us human and I'd like to think it's the former and you know if I'm wrong, prove it to me. Give me some data. Show me why we're better off doing it your way. And don't just show me. Show Congress. Show the people as a whole. Don't hide behind black boxes. Don't sit there and say we did badly and we promised to do better. I mean, over don't and sit it over, th- and over
1: and over again. <laughs> and
0: you know, you just every, it, it, every week there's new revelations, mm. many of which are are happening literally right now, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Facebook got busted for, you know, essentially creating Being apps. Well, to, but, but uh, first mm-hmm. they got busted on the thing that had little kids doing the in-app purchases, and right. then they, you know, which was just horrible. Friendly fraud. <laughs> and, and, then, and then and then of course, they have this research app mm-hmm. that is, essentially, they've repackaged what they were doing in Onavo, which was the VPN. I mean, it's unbelievable. They have this free VPN whose entire purpose is to spy on the people using mm-hmm. it. Last time I checked the whole reason to have a VPN was so that nobody could spy on right, you. Right. And now they're going to pay them 20 bucks a month to invade every part of their life. And I'm sitting there going, hang on just a second here. <laughs> Some of these kids are 13 years old. Some are 14, 15, 16, 17. They are minors. I mean, dudes, what do you think is going on here? I mean, it's like they're going forth as though nothing has happened, as though nobody's concerned about any of this stuff. I'm going, come on. You guys are better than this.
1: I'm not so sure. (laughs) Well, we'll, hang on. We'll see. (laughs) But you know something? Like
0: I said, I know people there. Mm -hmm. And I want to believe the best about people, okay? And, And does that make me naive? Definitely. Does it make me wrong? Not necessarily. Maybe. (laughs)
1: Yeah, maybe. Roger, such a pleasure having you here. Thank Thank. you so much for taking time for us.
0: Thank you so much. And again, you know, I wrote this book in the hope that it contributes to a conversation. And, you know, I don't pretend to have all the answers, but I know the people who have the answers are out there. And I hope they'll join into this and and give us a chance to, to have a better future.
1: I hope so. It is a really great overview of why we're here. So thank you so much.
0: My pleasure.